Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Radiant Church. Could you find some seats so that you can stand near them? <laughs> or find the front where you can stand without any seats? <laughs> or stand in the back so you don't have to be bound by any seats. morning. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. (laughs) So welcome. Welcome. It's a cold, cold morning. So thank you all for coming out. Um, I shared a little bit this morning. um, I need some background music here. Shared a little bit this morning about um, the idea of witnessing the goodness of God Um, We are those who have witnessed his goodness, his healing, his presence, his power. And because we've witnessed that once, we know that he can do it again, right? So we're going to sing this morning and we're going to praise him. And when we remember the things that he's he's done, last week we... um, got to sit around a table and tell stories um, of what God has done. And while I was telling stories that happened 20 years ago, (laughs) the Lord, you know, reminded me of them, but it was good for my heart. It wasn't just a story for the person who was in front of me that needed to hear it. It was also a reminder to my own soul of, wow, 20 years ago, you met me in this way. And that was really powerful when I looked at the next day. So even if we're not always going through a struggle, which is good, when we tell our stories to each other, when we testify of his goodness to each other, um, we get reminded, we remind ourselves, um, or God reminds us through our stories. So just encourage us to think about the things that he's done this morning, to think about all the ways that even just if you want to look on the, the past year and think of all the things he brought you through, you can say that he was with you. You can witness that he provided, that he protected, that he was faithful, that he was constant. Even if you don't have the end result of what you're praying and longing for. And when we do that, the Bible says in Revelations that The enemy is crushed by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So there's no story that's too small. There's no story that that is insignificant because God has done it. That is worth celebrating and it's worth praising him for. So we're gonna praise him in this place and you feel free to come up to the front if you need some freedom. If you need to move your arms a little bit, if you need to kneel, if you need to lay on the ground, (laughs) you are free in this place to worship however the Lord leads you. Silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. 
dark and it changes everything We sing with all we are and we claim your victory Let it rise Let praise arise We'll see you break down every wall We'll watch the giants fall Fear cannot survive when we praise you The God of breakthroughs on our side Forever lift him high All creation cry, God, we praise you Oh, 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 oh we praise you Inside of me And this is what living 
it's like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we praise you this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we praise you this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we praise you this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you this is what living this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we pray we'll see you we'll see you break down every Watch the giants fall Fear cannot survive when we praise you The God of breakthroughs on our side Forever lift you high All creation cry, God, we praise you
Of you. 
Oh, Jesus, we celebrate you this morning. Your goodness, your faithfulness, and that you are the only one who truly can be everything. We're gonna take the bread and the juice together in just a moment. So if you need some elements, you can go ahead and raise your hand and ushers will make sure that they get those to you. One of the things that I just love about what Jesus has done, and even ties back to the bread, is that he didn't just come to us, but he delivered us. There's this fast delivery that the Lord has done in his people to deliver them from the bondage of sin and slavery to sin. That's why the bread is so flat and crispy. No yeast, you don't have time to wait around for it to be proved and baked. We're doing this fast. The speedy deliverance of the Lord is here. So this morning as we take the bread, we remember we aren't just a people who are awaiting his return, though that is our ultimate hope. But here and now, we are a people who have been delivered from the bondage of sin and the slavery to it. We are a people who have been set free. And so as we take the bread together this morning, we remember the speedy deliverance that came to us through the body of Christ Jesus. And as we drink this morning, we remember that the speedy deliverance came to us through the blood of Jesus that was shed for the atoning of our sin. Sin no longer has a claim over us. We are a free people because of what Jesus has done. So as we drink, we remember the atoning blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we have communion with you. We're invited into intimacy with you. We've been made part of your own body because of Jesus. So this morning, we continue to celebrate you. We continue to thank you and be filled with awe and wonder of who you are and everything that you've done. And Lord, we continue to retrain our minds as we continue to repent, we learn to think differently about who you are and who you've called us into in Christ Jesus. We love you and we trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Well, that's where I close the prayer so we can pray. Uh, didn't think through that, but what I want you to do is to spend just a couple of minutes reflecting on what it is the Lord has delivered you out of. Remember who you used to be. Remember the chains of spiritual slavery that were over you before Jesus set you free. And begin to thank Jesus for the transforming work that he's done in you. And then the second piece to it is this as well. Where's that place where the enemy's trying to re-enslave you? Where is it where temptation to sin is creeping in and wanting you to go back to Egypt, wanting you to go back to that place of slavery and begin to once again, thank God for the freedom he's given you and choose freedom in Christ 
over the chains that are trying to come over you again. Over the next two minutes, church, let's reflect and pray and thank God. Jesus, we remember what it is that you've done. We celebrate what it is that you've done. We thank you for what you've done in us. You truly are worthy of all glory and power and honor now and forever. Teach us to be a people of faith. We keep coming back to you and trusting you and saying that you are enough, that you are everything and a people who continue to live in communion with you. Lord, thank you. We love you and we trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to be here with you this morning. Kids, you are dismissed. Uh, six, nine-year-olds and 56 and 78, whatever all the names are, you're dismissed. And parents, you can pick up your kids after the service lets out in the Radiant Kids Ministry area. Uh, a couple announcements real quick for you as well. Uh, coming up this Saturday at 10 p.m. right here, we have our Radiant Men's Group. And so I encourage you, if, if you're a dude, come on out and uh, enjoy just being together with some other guys and praying over each other and encouraging each other and learning how it is that we live as kingdom men. And um, then coming up the 26th, oh, my notes are going crazy. Uh, coming up the 26th, we have our next Sounds of the City. It's gonna be at 7 p.m. at, uh, not Radiant Church. It's gonna be at 242 Community Church in Ann Arbor. So we're really excited that other churches are joining in with this. And it's a gathering where the church in our city gathers together to worship the Lord
Lord and minister to him and enjoy doing that all together because, um, you know, I think the Lord has a, a view of the church. It's like, okay, there's Radiant Church, there's 242, there's Grace Ann Arbor. I guess the church of Jesus Christ and we are all one together. And so we've been hosting all of them here and we absolutely love that's gonna be hosted somewhere else. So I'd encourage you uh, travel. It's only like a mile from here on Wagner Road and uh, be there at seven o'clock on the 26th, which is a Friday night. And we will enjoy ministering to the Lord with other brothers and sisters in the family. Um, and then lastly, we have uh, our cleaning team meeting is going on today after prayer time lets out. You can meet us up here. I'll be here. Jared's gonna be leading that up and learning how to do things. Uh, if you didn't know, um, we're putting together some teams just to do some like light vacuuming and window washing after services let out so that we can make it easier as a family doing some of the family uh, chores together. I'll be there doing that. So if you wanna be a part of helping clean up real quick after services let out, you can just show up for a little training meeting today and uh, we will do that. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 3. Again, it's John chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 3. And it's a new year. January is when we're all thinking about transformations in our, our bodies. We want to be healthier. We're thinking about transformation in our finances. We want to do a better job of budgeting and stewarding what the Lord's given us you know, marriage goals, you know, whatever it is, but we're always thinking about this year is going to be different and we're going to make changes. And I hope that the greatest change that you're looking for this year, the greatest transformation is a spiritual transformation that God is going to do in you to make you more like Jesus. And the good news is that's not just your desire, that's God's desire for you too. And so uh, commit yourself this year to becoming more like Jesus and, and learning what is it that we need to do to partner with the Lord and what he's wanting to do in us to make us more like Jesus. Last week, we talked about uh, this idea of pruning. Kind of that first thing the Lord does to us is he prunes us. And it's a pruning away of other ideologies and beliefs. It's this pruning away of other idols that we're looking to for salvation, other idols that we're looking to for, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But the Lord comes and he prunes these other things away from us so that we can, uh, you know, become more like Jesus. And uh, it's not a one-time thing, like the Lord, it's funny how he just keeps pruning us over and over again, but it's a good pruning that leads us to fruitfulness. And today we're gonna to talk about this idea of remaining in Jesus, of this way that transformation continues in us over a lifetime is not just by allowing him to prune us, but there's now something that's gonna grow out of us. He's pruning us to remove things so that something new can grow inside of us. And that happens through remaining in Jesus. So in John chapter 15, verse one, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. 
But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask me for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as my Father has loved me. Remain in me. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Now there's a lot in there. We talked about it last week, we talked about this week, we'll be talking about it next week. But there's one thing that he says over and over in this passage, and this is a part that's easy to pick up on, is he says, remain in me. If we want to be fruitful, he says, you have to remain in me. If you don't remain in me, you can't be fruitful. The key to you being fruitful in life and producing fruit that lasts and being a disciple of Jesus is remaining in Jesus. But what's less clear is what exactly does it mean to remain in Jesus? Uh, how do we remain in Jesus? But he begins to speak to what that looks like in verse nine. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. This is the starting point for what it means to remain in Jesus, is him saying, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now think about that for a minute. How much does God the Father love God the Son? We can't even imagine how much God the Father loves God the Son. We can't even like, begin to comprehend how fully and how completely God loves God. But we know it's perfect. There's no doubt about the fact that God the Father loves God the Son, who is Jesus. We just assume, yeah, like that's, that's the way it is. That's, that's right. But now think about this. How much does Jesus love you? Eh, like, eh. This is something we struggle with. How much does God love you? We would say that, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible told me so, but we don't understand how much he loves us. We put it on this scale and we think if I'm doing really well and I'm like keeping all of the 10 commandments, like, like I'm worthy of love now, I deserve to be loved. And so Jesus is going to love me. But if we're not doing well in our obedience to Jesus, we start thinking, oh, like he doesn't love me that much. He's putting up with me right now, but he does not like me. Or you start, see, if you look at your life and you see there are bad things that are happening in your life, you start thinking, oh, like God must not love me very much. He must love so-and-so because they're doing great, but he doesn't love me much because if he loved me, these things wouldn't be going on. And we start believing in karma. I've been doing bad stuff. That's why bad things are happening to me. I just gotta like get my act together and then God will love me. Then I will deserve his love. But the reality is Jesus says, that he loves you 
as the Father loves him. That almost seems wrong, doesn't it? Like, like, is that narcissism? God loves me just as much as God loves himself. That doesn't even seem right. If Jesus hadn't said that, I would not believe it because it still doesn't make sense to me. Even though Jesus said it, this is one of the hardest things in all the scripture for me to really believe and to figure out and understand. That is the questions I have about the Old Testament that they are questions I have. This is more mysterious and seems more wrong to me than perhaps anything else in the Bible. Because like Jesus, he's perfect. He deserves the perfect love of the Father, but I'm not. Like I, oh, I'm not perfect. Get to know me, if you think I'm great, get to know me. Like <laughs> your view of me will plummet the more you get to know me. I don't deserve the love that Jesus has. I don't deserve for God the Father to love me like that. But the truth is, that is the way God loves you. As perfectly, as immeasurably, as incomprehensible as the Father's love is for the Son, is the way that His love is for you. We could just stop there. But this is so important for you to understand. Because if you don't understand this, you won't get the rest of it. We always think about God's love for us being tied to our performance or to what we deserve, but it isn't. And he doesn't just love you a little bit. He loves you perfectly, immeasurably, incalculably. He loves you. If we don't believe this, you won't advance in your discipleship. If you don't believe that he loves you in this way, you will not be able to get the next part because the next thing that Jesus says is remain in my love. I love you the way that the Father loves me. So remain in my love. Remaining in Jesus is remaining in his love. When Jesus keeps saying, remain in me, remain in me, this is the way you'll be fruitful. This is the way you're gonna have overflowing joy. This is the way you're going to like all of these other things that we really want. The way that we remain in him is by remaining in his love. That is the key to discipleship. Remaining in his love is the key to peace. It's the key to joy. It's the key to fruitfulness. All of the things that the Holy Spirit's stirring up inside of you, these different desires, the key to all of it and the way it's produced is by you making the choice to remain in his love. Now, how do we remain in his love? He says in verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So he says, we remain in his love by obeying him. We remain in him by remaining in his love. We remain in his love by obeying him. And this is where he's like, oh, wait a second. Like, didn't you just say that he loves you unconditionally and perfectly and fully and more than you deserve? Now it seems like there's a big condition on it when he says that you remain in my love by obeying me. But that's not what he's saying. 
This is the way our minds that have been trained in performance and how much we deserve. That's the way we view it. That's the way our broken human relationships have caused us to think about love. But this isn't what Jesus is saying. Uh, one of the greatest evidences of my love for my children is not just that I provide for them. It's not just that I give them big hugs. It's not that I, I do all of these other things. One of the greatest evidences of my love for my children and something that I only give to my children is my commandments. Why do I give my children commandments? It's because if I didn't do that, uh, they would be dead so fast. Like <laughs> over and over and over. And if you have kids, you understand. Like because you love your kids, you give them commandments so that they can stay alive because they have no idea what is good for them and what is going to kill them. They just get ideas and impulses and they can't see any way that, you know, like jumping off the roof onto the trampoline, holding steak knives, like how could this possibly go wrong? Like they can't see how this is going to lead to their destruction. But as a parent, as someone with more wisdom and more knowledge, I'm able to see and I'm able to set up commandments for them, for them to obey because of the fact that I love them. I give them commandments so that they can be relationship with each other. My kids have no idea how they should be treating each other. They have no idea how to interact with people in their own family. And so I give them commandments because I love them. Here's the commandments for the way that you're going to interact with each other. I'm giving them commandments to keep them safe. I'm giving them commandments to keep everybody else around them safe. And I give them commandments so that they can have good relationship with me and with Anna. Now, I give them commandments about the way that they're allowed to talk to their mom. Commandments about the way that they're allowed to talk to me and to treat me and to treat mom. Because if I didn't do that, it would lead to the breakdown of our relationship. All of the commandments that I give my kids, none of it's for my good. None of it's to make my life easier. None of it's because I'm just trying to keep them from having fun. It's all for their flourishing. The commandments I give them become out of the heart of love that I have for them because they don't know what's good for them and what's going to kill them. They don't know what's respectful and honoring and encouraging to each other and what is destroying each other and causing complexes. They don't know how to relate to me. So I have to give them commandments because I love them. And what it means to remain in love means that I'm going to, because I trust you, because I love you, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to choose to remain in your love. I'm going to choose to remain in the commandments that out of your love for me, you have given to me. That's what it means to remain in his love. We choose to remain in his love. We say, God, you love me perfectly. You love me completely. You only want my prospering and my flourishing. And so out of that love for me, you've given me commandments about how I live my life. You've given me commandments about what's good for me, what's bad for me, what's commandments about how I interact with other people. You've given me commandments about how I interact with you. And it's all because you love me and you want me to flourish. I don't know what's good for me and bad for me. I have some ideas, but there's a lot of ideas I have that are gonna lead to absolute ruin for me, even though I can't see how. There are a lot of ideas I have about the way I should interact with other people that I think are just and fair, but they're actually unjust and unfair. 
There are ways that I have of viewing God or the ways I should interact with him, but it will actually lead to separation from God. Because God loves us, he gives us commands for our good. And when we choose to obey him, we choose to remain in his love. Now, my kids aren't real great about remaining in my love. <laughs> Just like I wasn't great about remaining in my parents' love. But when my kids disobey me, does that mean I don't love them anymore? Absolutely not. I still love them just as much. Whether they're obeying all of the commands or whether they're disobeying all the commands, my love for them does not change. You see people who are the worst people on earth, their mom and dad still love them. Nobody else does, but mom and dad love them because the love for your child is not based on their performance. It's based on who they are and it never stops. And I tell my kids every night when they go to bed, what I tell you to remember and never forget, to say it again, I said, I love you and I will always love you because you are my son, because you are my daughter. God's love for you does not change. If you choose to remain in his love, he loves you. If you choose to step outside of his love, he still loves you. Remaining in his love has nothing to do with whether he loves you or not. It has everything to do with whether you're willing to receive his love and to trust him. Remain in his love. Remain in the commands that he has given you because you're receiving his love and trusting him. Now, this is the way that the enemy works though. Uh, he's always trying to get us to step outside of God's love. He's always trying to get us to say that God's love isn't good. He doesn't really love us. He doesn't love us fully. He's not able to meet our needs, you know, like fill in the blank. And always trying to tempt us to remove ourselves from the protective boundaries that God has given us out of his love. And this is the way he does it in Genesis 3. Seriously, like we read Genesis more than anything else. But it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Here's what the enemy does when he tries to come and to tempt you to step outside of the love of God. Is first, he misrepresents what God said. 
did God really say, you hear that a lot. Did God really say, I love when I get into theology debates with people and I never want to, they always bring it upon me. And they're like, well, you know, and they'll like try to challenge some orthodox thing that the church has believed for 2000 years. They're like, well, did God really say? And I'm like, yeah, like that's exactly what the devil always says. Did God really say? And it's like, yeah, but what, what happens is the enemy tempts you by coming and misinterpreting or misrepresenting what it is that God has said. And then here's what he does next, is he'll start saying, God isn't really good. You know, he doesn't really love you. And we know that because uh, he's keeping you from having this good thing that is the fruit where you're gonna be able to know what's good and evil all on your own. You won't have to rely upon God anymore. You will be able to become like God. You will be the one who is making the decisions. You get to be the judge. You get to be the highest authority for yourself. God isn't good. He's just trying to keep you down. He's trying to keep you from something that is good. Then he says, there are no consequences for this. God says, if you eat this, you're going to die. The enemy comes and says, no, you won't. There's no consequence for you if you do this. That's not what's going to happen. And he appeals to a desire that he says God can't fulfill. So what happens is says that they look at the fruit and they see it looks good. It's appealing because it's gonna meet a desire that they have. There's a physical desire for food. We all like good food. It's a desire that God gave us. But he's gonna try to get you to satisfy that desire in a way that is outside of the commands that God has given. There's spiritual desires we have. There are emotional desires that we have. We want to be able to determine what's good and evil. These are the temptations that Satan brings them. And if they had understood how much God loved them, they would have trusted God. They would have remained in his love and chose to obey, chose to submit. You know what? I don't understand this and it doesn't seem right to me, but I know that he loves me perfectly. I know that he's good. I know that he's faithful. I know that he loves me. But Satan convinced them that they weren't really loved by God that he didn't love them as much as God actually loves them. And in their doubt about God's love, they stepped outside of God's love and it brought absolute ruin and devastation to them. It brought shame. Now we're, God had been the one that decided what's good and evil. God said, your bodies are good. I created you. I'm the one who has the authority to say whether your body's good or bad. Well, now all of a sudden they become the authority over what's good or bad. And they look at their bodies and they say, my body's bad. I have shame about who I am and I have to hide this. It brings blame. They had a perfect, there was only one perfect marriage in the history of the world. And I don't know how long it was perfect for, but it was ruined by this. Now they're blaming each other. I only did like, it's like, it's the woman you gave me, Lord. And like, it's, it's just like complete destruction. There's shame that's brought into the relationship. There's blame that's brought into the relationship. It's the breakdown of intimacy with each other. It's a breakdown of intimacy with the father where once they loved the presence of God, now the presence of God comes to them and they run and they hide in shame and in fear. 
it led to their estrangement from God because they're the ones who chose to step outside of his love. And the enemy appeals to us the same way. He's always saying to us, does God really say this? Is God keeping you from something good? The enemy tries to tell you that there's a desire that you have that God isn't able to meet. There's a desire that you have that he isn't able to fulfill. The enemy will tell you that there are no consequences for this. It's completely okay. There's nothing wrong that's gonna happen. There's nothing bad that will happen from this. He will try to tell you that God's love for you isn't enough, that you are not perfectly loved by him. The ultimate goal of the enemy and his temptation is to try to get us to leave the love of God where we would flourish and become more and more like Jesus, where there would be overflowing joy and peace, where we would live as friends of God and to get you into the place of where you are separated from him, your life is bringing great harm to you, you're harming those who are around you and your relationship with him is completely broken down. We're all going to be tempted, but it all comes back to what do we believe about God's love for us? When the enemy tempts you to step outside of God's love, when he's trying to pull you from a place of remaining in his love to stepping outside of it, the great test for you and the great thing you have to come back to is does God love you? Is his love enough? And if you are able to say yes to that, if there's a conviction in your heart that his love for me is the same as the love that the Father has for Jesus, then you will trust him that every one of his commands is good, that every one of his commands is for your flourishing. And you may not understand, but you can trust him because of how great his love is for you. But if you waver in your understanding of God's love for you, you will step outside of his love. And it won't be that he stops loving you, but you will put yourself in the place of where you stop receiving love from him. And it will lead to destruction. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be transformed to be like Jesus, if you want your life to bear fruit that last, if you want life that is overflowing with joy and with peace, if you want life of deep intimacy with God, remain in his love. Obey every one of his commands. We're all going to walk this out imperfectly, every single one of us. There will be times where we believe the lie of the enemy and we step outside of his love. What do we do then? you haven't been disqualified from his love for you. You haven't disqualified yourself from coming back and repenting and saying, God, forgive me. God, I trust you. I'm choosing to resubmit myself. I'm choosing to get back into your love. Not meaning I'm gonna make myself worthy of God's love or deserving of it, but I'm putting myself back in the place of where I'm going to remain in his love. Put yourself in the place of where you become more like Jesus. Well, Father, we love you. And we're so grateful for your faithfulness and goodness to us. And Jesus, teach us to live like you. God, I pray for great conviction inside of our hearts this morning of how great your love is for us. 
conviction of your love that leads us to the place of trusting you in all things. The ability to trust that every one of your commands are good, that you are more than enough for us. The day's coming when we won't have questions. We'll be able to see the beauty of every one of your commands. But even as we don't understand, we choose to obey because we believe that you love us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to break up into groups and pray. And uh, every week we end up getting into groups of four, six, eight people. Uh, if you need ministry, this is the place for that. People who can pray for you, encourage you, help you be faithful to Jesus. Whatever it is that you need. The Lord's been speaking. I need help trusting him. I need help remaining in his love. These are the people that can help you. These are the people that can encourage you. You need healing, you need provision, wisdom, reconciliation, whatever it is. God poured out gifts amongst the church, not into one person, but amongst the church, and that we all use them as we come together to minister to each other. So this is like the best part of our gatherings. Well, I think they're all the best part. This is tied for the best part in all of our gatherings is when we, the family of God, get to be the family of God to each other. So I can't encourage you enough. It's not mandatory, obviously, but if you want to receive ministry and if you want to be able to minister to other people, then break up into groups, four, six, eight people and be the church to each other. Love you all. God bless. Uh, let's pray.